This year we're working on a theme called Work Walk Worthy of Your Calling. Our key verse is from Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul had written the first three chapters of Ephesus, uh, Ephesians, to the people in Ephesus and gave them some doctrinal background, some theological truths about how great it is to be in Christ. And that's where all spiritual blessings are and what we're called to. And then he begins the practical part of the book, and he says, Therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And that's what we want to work on this year is understanding the calling. And we're spending a few weeks on that. And then most of the year we're going to talk about how do you walk worthy of all of the great blessings that we have received. The first series that we're working on is called What's My Calling? We want to understand uh, what we are called to and who we're called by. Uh, last uh, first week we talked about Christians are definitely called. Uh, we're called to all spiritual blessings. We're called to forgiveness of sins. We're called to an eternal life. Uh, in addition to that, we talked about there being some different calls, the universal call uh, to salvation. And we talked about answering that call uh, last week, we looked at the example of Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, and how he answered that special universal call. Uh, today we're going to talk about answering the call, but it's the second kind of call. Uh, the individual call to service uh, once we have answered the universal call. Uh, and I want to just start by making sure we understand why is this so important. Uh, the individual call to serve. Now, last week we talked about the universal call and why it was so important, because it's the difference between heaven and hell. Okay. So we've covered that. That's not this. Uh, serving is not going to determine uh, whether we go to heaven or to hell, but the, the call to service is still extremely important. That passage that Brother Jesse just read us tells us why, and let me read through that again for you, Romans chapter 12. Beginning in verse 4, Paul says this, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Okay? So Paul explains, here's how the church works. We're like a body. We're the body of Christ. We're not like just like a body. We are the body of Christ. But we're like a body in that we all have different gifts. We serve different functions. And he, in other places, he goes into more detail. We're not all hands. We're not all feet. We're not all eyes. We're all different parts of the body but we're all necessary for the body to function. So he tells them, uh, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. And then he says, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. And he goes on and on. What that passage says is, Individual members are called to service. We have a gift, so use it. Use that gift. 
Why it's so important is because that's one way we walk worthy of our calling. Whatever gift you're given, you use that to walk worthy of the calling. But in another sense, what that means is this is how the church works. The church doesn't work if we don't answer the individual call to service. Now, I know that's a matter of degrees. There's no congregation anywhere where everybody uses their gift to the maximum amount they can serve with it. If that ever happened, that'd be a sight to see. That'd be a powerful church. Because God puts the gifts in there. It's up to us to use them. A church that doesn't use them very well is a very weak church. Uh, The body of Christ works better when we follow his plan and use the gifts we've been given. What I want to do to emphasize that today is think about how Paul felt so strongly that this was important. If we ask Paul, what do you think about serving, about answering the individual call to service? In 1 Corinthians 4.1, he said an interesting thing. He said, let a man so consider us, me and my fellow workers is who he was talking about, as servants of Christ. Now, if you read the context, Paul was under attack for being such a big shot. He said he was an apostle, and some of them said, well, we don't know if you're an apostle or not. And they argued about all this, and were picking on Paul and all that. And what he was explaining to them, that he didn't want to be thought of as a big shot or as an apostle or as anything else. He said, to paraphrase this, he said, when the time comes to judge me, he told them, I really don't care what men think of me. But when time comes to judge me, when the the time comes for the Lord to render judgment on me and my fellow workers, what I want him to say is, there was a servant of Christ. Now, it's a lot deeper than that. It's a lot bigger than that idea, and I want to try to get that across. Uh, We need a little history to really understand it, and we're going to do a little naval history here now. And some of you are saying, I've seen that picture before. If so, you've got a really good memory. When I thought about, I need to use that illustration about the the warships again. I thought, well, I just did that the other day. It was ten and a half years ago. so, So if you remember the warship, maybe you just like pictures. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was ten and a half years ago we talked about this for the first time. Uh, the picture is of a Roman warship, or the Greeks had them too, a trireme, uh, and it was the state of the art in naval battles. The purpose of the ship was to ram other ships and put them out of commission, and then the soldiers would go over and do what they had to do. Uh, there were lots of folks on board a trireme uh uh, warship, and I guess I've got this slide where you bring them up one at a time, but the soldiers uh, on there where there were some spearmen and some archers, there were about 200 people total, 
Uh, the crew had a captain, and the captain was a political guy, so he didn't really know much about anything except political stuff. Uh, the helmsman steered the thing. He had the rudder. The lookout was up high where he could navigate and tell them where to go. The administrator took care of the food and paying the soldiers and all the administrative things. And there were 25 sailors that took care of the sails and the rigging and kept everything right. Now, that's about 30 folks. Uh, the other 170 were rowers, and they're the ones that made the ship go. This was the engine. 170 of them. And this side view shows that there were three levels of them. There were uh, the top level rowers were up at the top of the boat where they could look out and see things and had a pretty good view of what was going on. The mid-level rowers were down a little bit, but they were still where they got some air flow. It wasn't too bad a job. The ones on the bottom level were down below decks. They were about that far off the water. When they looked out their little porthole that they stuck their oar out, they could see the waves, and I'm sure the waves came in every once in a while. They were down where there was no airflow, no anything. They were down in the dark belly of the ship, and they rowed from there. Now, we can see how this worked, and we can understand what Paul said a little better when we see the word that he used when he wrote 1 Corinthians 4.1 was under rower. He used the word, huperites, for the bottom guy in the ship. Now, I understand he had a lot of other words he could have used. Greek language has got a lot of words for servant. He could have said, I want God consider me to be a minister. That's servant. He could have said, I want God to consider me a deacon. That's servant, diakonos. He could have said, I want him to consider me a slave or a bond slave or, or just a servant. All those words are in the Greek language. But instead, he went to this kind of obscure word that only applied to this ship and the worst job in the ship, the under rower. He says, when it comes time for me to be judged, I want to be known as an under rower. Now understand, this is probably the best preacher that ever lived. He started more churches than anybody probably. The best missionary that ever lived probably. I imagine more people were baptized under his teaching than anybody before or since. He wrote the most books from the New Testament. Greatest theologian I know of. I called him a couple of weeks ago the, the greatest Christian that ever lived. That's who we're talking about. And this guy says, as a Christian, I want people, I want God, I want everybody to think of me as an under rower. Where did he get an idea like that? That's not natural thinking. Well, why did he want to be known 
as just a lowly servant? Well, the answer is because in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he said to people, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. This is how Paul thought of himself. This is how Paul thought of his calling as a Christian, is I want to be exactly like Jesus. Now understand who we're talking about. We're talking about Saul of Tarsus, who we talked about his conversion last week, who became the Apostle Paul, who wrote the verse, Walk Worthy. This is a guy who understood that he was delivered from the religion he grew up in, from the concept that you had to serve hard enough to be approved by God. You had to do enough right things. You had to do no wrong things. You had to do everything right. You had to know all the rules and regulations. And you had to follow those every second so that God might approve you. And then he was called to that forgiveness of sins, that eternal life, that freedom, that joy in Christ that we talked about. And he said, you got to serve worthy of your calling. you got to walk worthy of your calling, but today we're talking about serving worthy of your calling. And I want to be known as somebody that serves worthy of my calling. I want to be just like my Jesus. Well, what was Jesus like? There's a famous scene in John chapter 13. Everybody knows the story. Jesus and the apostles went into a room, and Jesus did an outrageous thing. Jesus told them to take their sandals off, and he got a bowl of water and a towel, and he started washing their feet. That was outrageous. That was inconceivable that the master would wash his followers' feet. They didn't understand it. In fact, Peter got mad. He said, you're not going to wash my feet. You're too important for that. But Jesus went ahead and did it. And he said, I'm teaching you a lesson. I'm trying to teach you what it means to be a follower of mine. Jesus himself explained in Luke 22, 27, I am among you. As one who serves. Yes, I created the world. Yes, I'm the great I am. Yes, I am God. But when I came down here, when I became flesh to walk among you, I am among you as one who serves. That's the way he thought of himself. You ever been to a military funeral? Seen a military funeral when some serviceman died in the service of his country? Why do we make such a big deal out of that? You know why. Because that is the ultimate service. For somebody to give his life for somebody else. And what did Jesus do? He didn't just wash feet. He died for you and me. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. That's what I came for, he said. I came to serve. And he served in every way possible while he was here and then on the cross. 
Now understand, let me just reinforce this. Service is not about heaven and hell. I'm not telling you you've got to serve, you've got to work hard, you've got to have all these jobs in the church. And all. That's not it at all, folks. This is about walking worthy, about answering the individual call to service, about realizing I've been gifted with something, and I ought to use that so the body works better. Not everybody does that. Not everybody thinks they need to. Let me explain something. James, in James 2.17, said faith by itself. We're saved by faith. We're saved by the grace of God. We're saved only by the blood of Christ. And James said faith by itself, if there's not some action there, it's dead. Now think about that picture for a minute. Think about what we're talking about. Paul was so thankful for what God had done for him. That he didn't have to serve hard enough to be approved anymore. He was serving because he had been called. He was, he was serving because of what Christ had done for him. And if you take that away and you think about the way James is thinking about it, James is saying, okay, I was saved by faith. That's good. That's the end of it. I don't have to do anything about it. James said, that's kind of dead. That, that, that doesn't sound like real faith. That doesn't sound like you understand what you've been saved from or what you've been saved to. Now, I've been talking about serving in a very generic way. Let's think about opportunities. What kinds of service are there available? You're a part of Northside, or maybe you're visiting and think you might want to be a part of Northside someday. Maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not. What I'm telling you is you need to answer the universal call of salvation to become a Christian. We talked about that last week. But once you're a Christian, you need to think about how you're gifted and how you answer that, universe, that individual call to service. Well, let me just give you a few to start with. There's... There are public and there are unknown kinds of service in the church. I serve in a pretty public way. I get up here and talk every week. Everybody can see me. Everybody knows exactly what I'm doing. Okay? The song leaders are very public servant. And there's a lot of people like that here. Our secretaries are, are very public in that anybody wants to know something from church, they know who Sandy and Becky are. There's a lot of unknown servants, too. When we have a wedding here, there's got to be a wedding coordinator to make everything work right. When we got ready for the 75th reunion, we're trying to assemble pictures for the history book. We said we ought to have a picture of a wedding coordinator. You know how many we could find? We finally drug out one person who had one picture of a wedding coordinator. Yeah, and she had her back turned in that one. Yeah, that's kind of an unknown role there. Hugely important, but unknown. Yeah. Funeral meals, when we have a funeral, the meal's just there. Most people don't even know who's back in the kitchen. Yeah. 
Northside singers, when we have a funeral or a wedding or something, sometimes a lot of people, especially visitors, will turn around and look up there to see where that heavenly sound is coming from. But most of us don't look back. We just know that's the singers. We don't know who all it is that day, but they're unknown, basically. There's public and unknown. There's large and small. There's people that serve in big ways, like running family camp. Craig and Becky have done that for years. That's a huge job. Women Walking with God is a huge production, and it takes lots of management team and lots of team leaders, and so many women get involved in that. Work camp is a huge operation. About half the congregation gets involved in that. But then there's small jobs, too. When you came in this morning, you... you you got a handout. Somebody had to hand that out to you. Somebody's back there serving, doing that kind of thing. When we have visitors' lunch, there's a lot of people that bring a little extra food. We don't know who they are. That's a small job, bringing other casserole. Not huge, but it's got to happen. There's organized and there's spontaneous service around here. When we have Wednesday night meals, that's very organized, and the troops work all day and sometimes more than one day to get everything ready and all of that. But when it's over, there's some spontaneous things start happening. Different kids start grabbing salt and pepper to put them away. People start taking tables down, putting them away, cleaning tables. It's just spontaneous. It just happens. There's team service around here, and there's individual service around here. The ambassadors work in a team. They go out two by two. They support each other. And there's a bigger team that supports them and the assignments and all that. They get the job done. There's people that do things around here. They're unknown except to the people they serve, but they just do it individually. Ken and Brad and others that go to hospitals so faithfully. They don't have a team to do that. They just go do it. There's there's supervisors and there's doers. One way to think of some of the service around here. Sonny and Norma recruit teachers and ask people to do that and kind of supervise what goes on there. But there's so many doers that, that just make things happen. And you, you all, if you're connected, to see the emails that say, somebody's moving this weekend. Let's go help them. And people just answer those. They just go do it. There are very sensitive, responsible service positions, and there's some that aren't so critical. You know, there's people here that have financial problems and legal problems and personal problems and family problems, and people help them. That's something that has to be done very sensitively and very responsibly. Deacons do a lot of that. That's why the uh, the requirements for a deacon says that he's got to be somebody that's trustworthy and his wife has to be trustworthy and be able to keep her mouth closed because they're in a responsible, sensitive position. But there's some other things that aren't that critical, that aren't that sensitive or responsible. We, we observed the Lord's Supper. We had the communion. Somebody had to prepare that. Okay? That's not a sensitive job. You don't have to keep secrets about that. 
What you got to do is be very, very faithful in that. And we have people that serve in that way. So all of those different kinds of things get done at Northside, and that's why Northside functions so well. A lot of people do those jobs, but let me say, not everybody serves for various reasons. Some people haven't figured out their gift yet. Some people don't understand that they're supposed to answer this call. And unfortunately, there's some that have tried and said, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. Because we have an attitude sometimes that we can serve unless. I'll be glad to serve unless it gets too hard. I'll be glad to serve unless it takes too much of my time. I'll be glad to serve unless somebody criticizes me. As soon as somebody criticizes me, I'm out of there. Do you understand the Apostle Paul never said, I'm going to serve unless somebody criticizes me. He said, I'm going to serve because I've been called. I'm going to serve even if they do put me in jail. I'm going to serve even if they do flog me. I'm going to serve even if the ship does wreck every once in a while. I'm just going to get up, swim to the closest island, and keep on serving. That's the way the Apostle Paul thought about it. Sometimes we don't. When Paul closed his letters, he usually recognized people. And when he wrote to a city like Rome or Colossae or whatever, at the end of his letters, he'd say, tell so-and-so hi. Give my love to this couple. I know them from someplace else. He'd sometimes recognize them and he'd say, oh, so-and-so that goes to church there, he's a hard worker. Brother so-and-so that you know there, boy, he was a big help to me in the past. He recognized people personally like that. But I think one of the highest praises he ever gave is when he wrote to the Colossians. And he said, Epaphras, say hi to Epaphras for me. He said, he's one of you. He's a servant. He is a servant of Christ. That's a special recognition from Paul, who just wanted to be an under-rower. If you're here for the first time, we want you to think of Northside as a place to be served. That's the way you ought to think about it. If you walked in today for the very first time, we hope you leave today saying, man, they serve you well there. We try. We'll park your car for you. you know, just pull up there and give them the keys. They'll park it for you. Go get it when you're ready to go home. Most of these, we'll give you lunch. We'll take care of your kids. We'll babysit. We'll teach your kids during class time. We want to do all that for you. We want you to think of this place as a place to be served. But if you stay a while, we want you to think of this place as a place to serve. There's a difference between being served and serving. If you stick around here very long, especially if you're a Christian or if you become a Christian, we want you to understand what I've been talking about today, that we are saved to serve. We're saved to serve others, to answer that call, 
and serve worthy of your calling. That's what makes Northside such a great place. That's what makes Northside such a great family, that we have people that have that figured out. Now, you may notice there's one more blank on your handout to fill in. I left that for you. You can fill it in however you want. You know a great servant, you can write that name in there. What I want you to do is think, will my name fit in there? Would anybody say that about me? Would anybody say, he is a servant? She is an underrower. If so, fill your name in there. I know a lot of people can here at Northside, and if we answer our call, there'll be a lot more that can. Next week, we're going to talk about who's calling. Now, we're supposed to answer the call of the Lord, but I'm going to propose next week that it's not always the Lord calling that we think we hear. Sometimes it's somebody else. Sometimes it's us. We made up our own calling. So next week, we'll talk about who's calling. Today's answer of this individual service thing we've talked about uh, you can act on in the weeks to come, the months to come. I hope you do. I hope you, if you're not serving in some way, understood what I said and, and to have decided that, you know, I'm going to find some ore to grab. Now, I'm going to grab an ore even if it's on the bottom level and I'm going to start rowing. I hope you come to that conclusion. Last week's Answer to the call is a little more important. Let me reinforce that. The difference between heaven and hell. The universal call to salvation, to eternal life, that's always open. We always take a little time at the end of service to make a special invitation of that, and I'm going to do that right now. I want to invite you to answer that call if you still need to. There is no better time, and it's the only guaranteed time that you have. Answer that call right now if you need to. Let's stand and sing.